to kindergarten ready. What really matters? Kindergarten Ready is a podcast about child development in the first five years. Here, we'll try to uncover what really matters and just what it means to be kindergarten ready. Welcome to Kindergarten Ready. Greetings, all. I'm Dr. Jean Ouellette researcher, director of the Language Literacy Learning Lab, and professor of psychology at Mount Allison University. On this episode of Kindergarten Ready, What Really Matters, we shift the focus once again, and in the interest of giving equal time to different ages, let's talk about babies. We're all about equal opportunity here at Kindergarten Ready, after all. One of the most advanced processing and neurologically based areas of development in newborns has to do with perceiving speech which then sets the stage for learning how to create speech. So in this episode of Kindergarten Ready, let's talk babies, perception, and babbling. This week on Kindergarten Ready, it's all about babies. I mentioned last episode that I really want to mix it up for these first number of episodes of this podcast just to show not only the breadth of topics, but also the differing degrees of applied strategies, recommendations versus more academic evaluations in the science of human development. I guess I want to show just how varied this show can be in terms of scope and depth. My goal is that the episodes are going to vary quite a bit in their format and scope and not always be the same. Some episodes will be more narrative-based, like our early story of vocabulary enrichment in everyday activities. They may be more recommendation-based, like our vocab part two episode. Maybe more interview, family perspective-based, like the COVID and, and stress episode. Or more tied to school readiness, like last week, the emergent literacy episode. I also want to, at times, dig a bit more into the actual science and research. I also want to mix up the age range that we're focused on. Zero to five is a big range. If you think about it, the difference between a five-year-old and a one-day-old infant is obviously monumental. So with all that in mind, I thought this week, let's focus on babies, newborns through the first months of life, and let's look a little more at the science and research this time around. If we're going to be completely honest, if we compare across species, humans are pretty high on the uselessness scale in terms of being self-sufficient newborns. I mean, think about it. We are 100% dependent upon a caregiver for our very survival. And then we are dependent upon an adult, a nurturing caregiver, for our development and for a prolonged period of time. But one area where we are the superior species is that of speech perception and production. So take that species. And if you're not familiar with this area of study, trust me on this one. It's an absolutely fascinating topic. Seriously, trust me. It's worth a listen. For real. Long before they understand or utter their first word, children are listening to and watching speakers of their native language. Long before they can speak clearly, babies understand the general meaning of what you're saying. They can also absorb emotional tone and associate speech and language with interactions and intent. Consider this. The peripheral auditory system, we're talking your hearing system from your outer ear to your middle ear to your inner ear, is pretty well fully developed by 24 to 28 weeks of gestation. That's basically the start of the third trimester of pregnancy. 
plus some of the properties of language can be processed in utero. What this means is that by birth, an infant has already had several weeks, if not months, of auditory experience, and in particular, experience with their native language. The brain of a newborn appears to be specialized for language. The language circuits, predominantly in the left hemisphere, are up and running. This suggests that learning about spoken language actually begins during the fetal period of development. Although the womb filters out most of the fine details of speech, some of the more general properties, such as intonational contours or rhythm, are preserved. Interestingly, newborns can also tell the difference between two languages that they've never heard before if those languages differ in rhythm. Infant speech perception studies are a fascinating source of experimental ingenuity. You might ask, how do we know what an infant can perceive? How do we know an infant can tell the difference between two languages? There's a few well-established lab techniques that have been used in research in this area. One is sucking rate. Basically, infants will suck a pacifier more quickly when they are interested in a sound. Their sucking rate will decrease as they habituate or get bored of that sound. If the sound changes and they notice the change, their sucking rate will go up. So you can actually measure a newborn or an infant's sucking rate on a pacifier, and it will tell you a lot about what they are hearing. For example, if you play a repeating sound like ba, 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 the rate of sucking will increase because the infant finds that pretty interesting, but then it will decrease and gradually go down because they get bored with it. If you change the sound to pa, 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 and the sucking rate goes up, well, that shows you that the infant heard the difference between a ba and a pa. Another method commonly used gains an infant's visual attention with a blinking light. When the infant looks in that direction, a sound is played. When they look away, the sound stops. You can basically train an infant to control the sound. It turns on when they look at the light, turns off when they look away. And then you can compare how long they like to listen to different sounds by how long they look at the light. It tells you what they prefer. That's pretty ingenious if you think about it. Well, using these techniques, we know that infants, days old, can tell the difference between their mom's voice and another female speaker. They have heard their mom's voice in utero during the last trimester. Newborns also show evidence of prenatal learning. They prefer to listen to forward speech rather than a taped speech sample that's played backwards. Now, you might think that like sounds like a weird thing to test, but why would you prefer listening to speech forward over backwards unless you realize that's the way it's supposed to be? because you've heard it in utero. Newborns also show a specific preference for their native language, that is, they'll listen longer and prefer to listen to their own language, the language that they heard, again, in utero. To study perception and even learning during the last trimester of pregnancy and prenatal development, there was a landmark study by DeCasper and colleagues in 1986 that investigated newborns' and fetuses' memory of their mother's speech. And this is such a cool study. They instructed women to read a nursery rhyme three times a day, starting six weeks before their due date. Within days of birth, the babies were then tested for speech perception using the techniques we just discussed. Newborns showed a preference for their mother reading the nursery rhyme over another female voice reading that nursery rhyme, and amazingly preferred to listen to the familiar nursery rhyme over a new one. A follow-up study measured heart rate of fetuses before they were born and found that fetuses tested two weeks before birth showed a differential heart rate response for the familiar compared to the novel nursery rhyme. That is, they were showing signs that they recognized the nursery rhyme two weeks before they were born. Four weeks of exposure 
a few minutes a day was sufficient for fetuses to encode some properties of a nursery rhyme. I don't care what you say. That's freaking cool. We're talking prenatal speech perception. Basically, when we pop into the world, we're highly tuned and specialized for hearing speech. You may have heard it said before that infants can hear the difference between all sounds and all languages, something that we as adults cannot do. And what this refers to is the fact that there's different sound distinctions and languages that we can't actually detect if we're not speakers of that language. And it has been claimed in the past that babies can. Think about English, for example. English has a contrast between R and L, a R and a L sound, that doesn't exist in Japanese. So Japanese speakers, not exposed to English early in their lives, find it very difficult to hear the difference between those R's and L's. English doesn't have the distinction between different D sounds that Hindi language does. For example, in English, we have one D. We put our tongue up behind our front teeth. We release our tongue down from our teeth as our vocal cords turn on, and we say duh. Well, in Hindi, there's actually two D sounds. One is produced very much like we do in English by putting the tongue up behind the front teeth and releasing the tongue down. But the other is created by putting the tongue up behind the front teeth and pulling the tongue back. English speakers will hear those two D sounds as the same sound, but Hindi speakers actually hear two different sounds. The point is, there are sound differences in different languages that non-speakers of those languages may not hear. And it's been argued in the past that babies can actually hear all the sound differences of all the languages of the world. As great as a story as that would be, it's actually only partially true. It's a bit of a propagated myth, actually. Yes, babies can hear some sound differences from other languages that we as adults cannot hear. For example, newborn English babies can hear that difference between those two Ds in the Hindi language that we as adults cannot. But infants can't necessarily hear every sound contrast from every language. There's been some research, for example, in Spanish showing that there are some consonant differences that are really hard to perceive, uh, some vowel differences in Swedish as well, and even in English. We have an issue with the F and the TH sound. If you think of F as in fun, we create that sound by putting our top teeth on our bottom lip and blowing air. The TH sound, as in the number three, we create that by putting our tongue between our teeth and again blowing air, no vocal cords, three. An F sound and the TH are acoustically very, very similar and English infants may not hear the difference between those sounds. That's why if you speak to a three-year-old and you ask them how old they are, they might say, I'm free. Why does it matter? Valid question. Having a specialized skilled system that's so good with speech is what allows input to be processed by the brain, and that's what gets the ball rolling for speech and language development. It all starts with infant speech perception. It's that simple. What should we do about it? Can you guess the answer? If you've listened to past episodes, you probably can. It's talk to your babies. Again, it's that simple. Talk to your babies even before they're born. You can read stories, nursery rhymes, Dr. Seuss. Think texts that have a real rhythmic characteristic. Sometimes people feel foolish talking to infants who can't understand them or babies who can't answer questions or have a turn and talk back. They can't tell you with words how they're feeling or follow instructions to complete a task. They seem pretty limited, really. They can gurgle, grunt, squirm around, make some strange noises, and of course cry. 
but that's not speech and language. Or is it? Turns out these vocalizations provide exercise and practice for the muscles and coordination needed for speaking. And it is a way of communicating. When you talk to a baby and leave space for them to make their own noises, it actually teaches them how conversations work. First one person talks, then it's the other person's turn. That's called pragmatics. When you respond to a baby's gurgles, it teaches them that their voices are heard and recognized and can start an interaction. And when you speak to a baby using full, rich vocabulary and proper grammar, they learn to do the same. If you want your baby to learn how to talk, you have to model how. You have to talk to them. Oh, really? Okay. What else? You can encourage a baby's early attempts to communicate by simply giving loving attention. If you smile at a baby, especially when they're cooing, gurgling, or otherwise vocalizing, guess what they do? They do that behavior more. If you look at a baby when he or she babbles and laughs, rather than looking away, interrupting, or talking with someone else, guess what? They'll repeat that behavior. You can even provide a made-up second part of an imaginary conversation in response to a baby's strange, gurgly noises. Oh? Oh, yeah? What else? Oh, oh okay. Mm-hmm. And here's a biggie. You can imitate your baby. Right from the start, baby communication should be a two-way street. By imitating your baby, you'll send an important message. What he's feeling and trying to communicate matters to you. You're also providing auditory stimulation that provides feedback and reinforcement for the noises the baby is making. Perhaps before we go on with more suggestions and recommendations, this might be a good place to talk a little bit more about how speech develops, for production that is. Even before infants produce their first words, they are developing the oral motor skills through sound play that they'll need in order to speak. They can't babble, that is create consonants and vowel sounds at first, because they lack the motor skills and coordination needed to do so. But they soon develop these skills. There are physical changes that occur in the young infant that make babbling possible. Here's something super cool. Did you know that at birth, infants' vocal structure actually resembles that of non-human primates? They have a shorter vocal tract and a much higher larynx than adults do. Before babbling can occur, that vocal tract has to mature and the infant's larynx actually has to drop from being high close to the nasal passage to a lower position in the throat. During the three months of life before the larynx descends, infants can eat and breathe simultaneously. Neat trick. But before that larynx descends, infants are incapable of producing complex speech sounds, such as syllables composed of consonant vowel combinations. They are capable of crying, producing clicks, groans, sighs, things that sound like uh, grunts and gurgles. By four months or so, the vocal tract of an infant more closely resembles that of an adult, and babbling gradually emerges from that point. In the months following the descent of the larynx, the infant's vocalizations become more and more complex. Again, pretty freaking cool. Now, I'm going to give some age ranges here for development uh, with respect to different types of babbling, and, and I always do that with the caveat. Note, anytime we talk about age ranges, they're guidelines only. There are really no milestones that are carved in stone, so to speak, 
kids will vary. But these are so important that a delay of a month or so may warrant an evaluation. Babies at risk of developing autism, for example, will babble later. A delayed onset of babbling can also indicate hearing impairment, which may be temporary, right? It could be an undiagnosed middle ear infection, for example. So while we allow for individual variability in terms of milestones and rates of development, early speech perception and babbling are critically important on the pathway to develop speech and language. They scaffold our entire learning process. So it is important to be aware of these milestones. Okay, so you ready? Let's start birth to one month. Well, I've already said the larynx is too high to create speech sounds, but yet we have this incredibly sophisticated perceptual ability. We are born with the ability to phonate, but the sounds we make won't sound like speech. They're more reflexive vocalizations like crying, burping, coughing, sneezing, but you'll also start to hear the grunting and the groaning type sounds. It's not really to two to three months that cooing sounds may be made by babies. These are sounds similar to what you might think of as vowels that we make in the back of our mouth, like vowels in the words law and note. We refer to those as back vowels. Then we get to four to six months. That's when we hear babbling. Babbling is what we think of in terms of identifiable consonant sounds. So somewhere around the four-month mark, we start to hear what sounds like consonants and vowels, or vowels with a consonant, something like ba, 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 or um, um, um. They often will contain those so-called back vowels and consonants that we either make way at the back of our mouth, so think of like a K, hard K sound, or a hard G sound, K, G. We make those in the back of our throat or sounds that we make at the front of our mouth by closing our lips, which are a B, a P, and an M sound. So a ba, pa, ma. Once you start combining these consonants with vowels, you might get a ma, 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 completely by fluke, in which you can then reinforce and be very happy about hearing. You'll also hear lots of ba, ba, ba's and pa, pa, pa's and ka, ka, ka sounds. This is referred to as canonical or reduplicated babbling. It's what we perceive as clear syllables being repeated over and over again. So we want to consider for babies. First, does he make noise? Yep, good. Then, does he sound like he's talking? That's good. But more specifically, by six or seven months of age at least, have the sounds developed into that canonical, reduplicated babbling where we can hear vowels and consonants. Babies who go on vocalizing without many consonants, making only the vowely cooing noises, they're not practicing the sounds that will lead to word formation, and they're not getting the same degree of practice for the muscles and coordination needed to create speech. Okay, moving on. Now we get to 7 to 10 months. A noticeable change happens here. Infants begin to explore and expand their babbling. They gain better control of the muscles involved in speech production and are better able to sequence different sounds one after another. So now instead of having the same consonant vowel repeated, they'll mix it up a bit. By around 10 months, you hear what's referred to as variegated babbling. That is, different syllables being sequenced. Instead of pa-pa-pa or ba-ba-ba, you might hear pa-ba-da-ba-du-ba-ga. You hear different consonant vowel combinations. The consonants and babble mean the baby's practicing shaping different sounds by learning to maneuver their mouth and tongue and listening to the results. 
Eventually, they may even babble in what sounds like sentences, with intonation layered over top even. Not all babies do that, but some do. First words can come from babbling too. There's something in language development referred to as idiomorphs, and that basically means a made-up word. For example, our daughter, when she was probably, oh, I don't know, maybe eight or nine months, she was in her crib standing up, and she would say kika. If you think about kika, that's the same consonant, that K sound, with the vowel changing. So that's variegated babbling, but it's short. It's only two syllables, and she's not switching out the consonants. So, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, not super impressive, kid. Come on, you can do better than that. But then over time, we realized she was saying kika when our cat was in the room. That was actually an idiomorph, a made-up word. She was saying kika as an approximation of the word kitty cat. So in many ways, babbling resulted in her first words, if only her parents were paying attention. So what's the main takeaway from all of this? Since babbling is a stepping stone to language, and babbling is scaffolded on top of amazing speech perception abilities, it should be encouraged through plenty of talking and interactions with babies. What should we do about it? Well, again, it's as simple as talking to babies. Babies have to hear real language, and guess what? It has to be from real people in order to learn these skills. Studies have shown that television doesn't do it, and neither do educational videos or apps. Recent research suggests that learning to speak is tied, at least in part, to the quality and context of adult responses and interactions with another person. Having a back-and-forth conversation and baby talk to teach your baby the give-and-take of adult conversation is a great technique. There's a viral video uh, from a while back that shows a young father having a made-up conversation with his baby who is babbling, as I believe uh, they're watching TV. I thought about sneaking that in here, but I don't want to violate any copyright infringements, obviously. So if you have a moment sometime, not now, don't stop listening to the show, but maybe when you're done, if you look up, and this is what the video is called, dad has full convo with his baby. And that's, that's verbatim. Dad has full convo with his baby. If you look that up on YouTube, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's a great example of how you can introduce a turn-taking process into babbling. Another great thing to do, like I mentioned earlier, is to actually imitate back your baby's vocalization. If your baby says ba 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 and you hear that, then you look at them, you get their visual gaze, and you say ba ba ba. Then you wait for them to make another sound, and then you repeat the process over and over again. What this does is allows them to see your mouth moving and pair that with the sound that they're hearing. That actually helps in the development of speech production. It also develops this back and forth interaction. So you're providing auditory visual stimulation plus introducing the pragmatics of language. Win-win. And here's another thing. You can even add complexity to their babbling. So if, for example, a baby says ba-ba-da, you can say ba-ba-da-ga. Add a syllable and see if they'll add a syllable to their babbling. That's pretty cool. It's perception, stimulation, and production all working together in action. See? Who said academic areas of study can't be super cool? Another idea is if you consider the child's developmental stage, you can model one stage ahead. This is a Vygotskyan approach. Lev Vygotsky is a, a Russian psychologist who's been very influential in the area of educational psychology, who really advocated providing stimulation just beyond a child's current level of ability. If your child isn't babbling, is only making kind of cooing sounds, you can babble at them. If they're making what sounds like reduplicated babbling with the same consonant-vowel combinations, 
you can model some new ones and model a variegated babbling where the consonant or vowel changes from syllable to syllable. So you're basically providing stimulation just above the baby's current stage of development. Again, pretty friggin' cool. And finally, I can't leave this topic without again bringing up parentese or child-directed speech. Remember, I, I mentioned this if you listened to the earlier episode about vocabulary. And if you hadn't, uh, why not? Go back and listen to it. It's a cool episode. Parentese or child-directed speech refers to that slower, higher-pitched, overly exaggerate way of speaking to babies that most people naturally do. We open our eyes wide, even. We put on big smiles. We over-enunciate the words we're saying. It's kind of sing-songy. We stretch out vowel sounds. Instead of saying apple, we might say apple, right? It's a universal phenomenon, and it's linked to improved speech and language development. You can go to episode three to hear some examples reenacted by Katrina even. Child-directed speech or parentese is an empirically supported best practice. Parentese makes it easier for children to learn language, and that includes babbling. But also remember, using baby talk is something else completely. When people use baby talk, they change regular words into words that are basically nonsense syllables, or they change the grammar of a language. Me so hungry, instead of I am hungry, for example. Or they change the sound structure of words even worse. I love you. You're so strong, right? That's not modeling proper phonology or morphology. That is sound structure or grammar. The biggie, which I see over and over again, which drives me crazy, is instead of saying, do you want a bottle? What do people say? You want a baba? Here's your baba. Really? Baba? What is that? That's a guy who lives in the South, isn't it? It's agrammatical and it's modeling improper word formation. I don't like to be imperative in telling people what to do, but please stop doing that. When I speak of repeating back babbling, that's not baby talk. That's not deviating from the sound structure of a word. That's not deviating proper grammar. That's simply providing syllable constant vowel sequences that are developmentally appropriate. There's a really big difference. So repeat or model babbling before a child says its first words? Absolutely. Fantastic. Make baby talk with deviations in proper word formation and grammar? Uh-uh. Please no. Let's just recap. Speech perception starts in the final trimester of pregnancy. The human hearing system and brain is set up for speech input from day one of birth. We pop into the world ready for speech and language stimulation. It just needs input. Along with touch, it's our most advanced sensory system and our brain is set up to learn language. Perception is also linked to production from cooing to babbling to first words. We just have to wait for the motor and physical development to catch up. Perception and production then lay the framework for language and cognitive development, and all it needs is input and stimulation. So it's a simple recommendation. Talk to babies. Before we sign off in this episode, you know, maybe I need some sort of catchy sign-off catchphrase. Have to work on that, I guess. Let me please take the moment to thank those who are helping to spread the word about this podcast. There's just so many podcasts out there, it's hard to make people aware of this one. So I do rely upon listeners telling their friends so they can tell their friends. It's not a shampoo commercial. And she told two friends and she told two friends. You know, you get the idea. Just to put it into perspective, I was looking at some online sources of analytics for podcasts. And according to recent research, 136 downloads per episode would put a podcast in the top 50% of shows out there. 
So the good news is uh, we've surpassed that milestone. Now, it doesn't seem like an overly high number to me. I was a little surprised at that, 136 downloads. But then I figure, I guess that's 134 more listeners than me just speaking to my wife and daughter. And, and let's face it, they're never going to stay in the same room and listen to me for 25, 30 minutes straight. So I guess it is an accomplishment. I'm happy to say that that would put us in the top 50% of podcasts because we are well beyond 136 downloads per episode. Now, the bad news is the next milestone mentioned in this report was that needed to be in the top 20% of podcasts, and that requires 1,100 downloads. And I got to tell you, we're not really close to that. But it does give us a goal to work towards. So I'm going to set that as my personal goal to see if we can't hit that benchmark of 1,100 listeners per episode by the end of summer. That would be great. But the only thing is, there's no way I can do that without your help. And finally, once again, let me just remind you that there is a Facebook page. Uh, there is a web page. You can see all that information in the show notes. And I do welcome your feedback. With that being said, I will sign off. Once again, thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much for the positive feedback and helping spread the word. And with that, cheers, everybody. You've been listening to Kindergarten Ready, What Really Matters, a podcast about child development in the first five years. Kindergarten Ready is a production of the Language Literacy Learning Lab. For more information about the show, check us out at www.kindergartenreadywhatreallymatters.com. Kindergarten Ready!